You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. If I haven't said already, good morning to you. My name is Jer. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the Shore Church, and it is my privilege and honor to stand behind this pulpit, uh, behind the Word of God, to preach uh, the Word of God to us and for us. And, and we're actually in a sermon series, but before I get into that, I want to discuss something, maybe ask a question. Is there anybody here that has a forestry background, like studied forestry in university? Anybody? Am I the only one? Chris, you? Maybe. I only did a year. (laughs) I can't remember actually going to too many classes, actually. I played a lot of basketball, and so I took a year-long course. There's a whole lot of story behind that, but but I'm telling you this because there's there's a tree out there, maybe, Chris, you know this, the aspen tree. Anybody know or heard about the aspen tree? Just help me out. Give, give me a nod or something. Like, so, yeah, yeah, thank you. All right, so there, there's aspen groves. There's, there's, there's forests of aspen trees. And, now, and maybe you didn't know this, but every one looks like an individual tree. But what you don't see is underground, right? We see above and we see all these individuals all over the place. But the problem is we, if we saw underground in the, through the root system, in the aspen tree, there is one root system that feeds every single tree in the forest. It's actually quite incredible. Like the biggest aspen tree grove that is fed by one root system is 106 acres big, and it covers 47,000 trees out of one root system. It's quite incredible. And so today we're talk- I'm, I'm sharing this because we're talking about community today. And God has created things so incredibly within our world that he has created this idea of who he is in all of creation. And we are to emulate him. And the aspen tree is one of those things that emulates him. It is one God in three persons. In us, we, we, we want to emulate him within the church body. Many members, one root system. One root system, all t- pointing towards Jesus Christ. And so this is the idea today. We're talking about our third aspect of our core values. Way back in early September, we hit evangelism, which is one of our core values. Then we spent 10 weeks on discipleship, which is our other core value. And then now here, we're talking about community for this Sunday. So let me, let me pray, and then we'll definitely jump into this. Please bow your heads with me. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much that um, this world that you have created actually is meant to point back to you. We are to image you. And we see this in creation. And we also see this in your scriptures. You've called us to image you, to be image bearers of you. Um, And so I just pray, Lord, that as we listen to what you have to say to us this morning, And just even as I've reflected over my notes, I was even praying a thankful prayer that this message is actually for me. And so thank you, Lord, for allowing me to prepare this in an actuality it is actually meant for me. And so I I pray that um, my friends here, my my family will also glean what I've gleaned. Um, may, May you use me to pass on your message to others. Um, that maybe be watching online or, or here sitting in this gathering. 
Help us, Lord, change to become more like you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, putting an outline to this, uh, I actually didn't go any further than looking at our website. So if you go to our website, you can actually click on the drop down and it, on the community and see community and there's a small outline of what you see on the screen. A little write up on each one of these. Look towards God first and foremost. Look towards another and then look towards God's mission. This is what we're calling one another in community and I wanna explain that a little bit more further this morning as we unpack this core value of the Shore Church. So look towards God, the number one. So as as I've said already, we've walked through 10-week sermon series on discipleship, and we went through everything. Like, we talked about the very things that if you're going to walk with someone and disciple them towards Christ-likeness, these are the 10 kind of components, the foundations that you would actually take them through. You look at the attributes of God. You look at assurance of salvation. You look at... Uh, the Bible and prayer and fellowship and and temptation and obedience and witnessing and all these things that lead you towards this obedience. And so we walk through these 10 foundational things of Christianity that you might, as parents, walk with your kids through this. As individuals, walk with another friend or family member and go through these things with one another as a discipleship, as disciple-makers that we don't wanna be a church that sits and listens, but we actually wanna be a church that sits and listens and goes and does, right? Does, is that better? Thank you. 55% in English, all right? So there's gonna be a lot of correction. So let's look toward God, let's look towards God. There's no living creature actually that can live without water, physically. You cannot live without water. And there's no living creature that can live eternally without confessing and believing in Jesus Christ as Lord. Not one living creature can live eternally without him. Like Buddha will not get you there. Allah will not get you there. Any other belief system outside of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life will not get you there. Like Jesus alone, the five solas, Jesus alone, faith alone, by grace alone, by God's glory alone, by his word alone. And this is expressed in John 14, 6. He is the only way, he is the only life, he is the only truth. No one gets to the Father but through Jesus. And we see this all over scripture. But the thing is, as I was thinking about this and thinking about community and how we ought to think through this, and I was thinking on my own reflection, that's why my prayer was like, this is actually for me because I know these things, but do I actually live them out? Like reflect on this last week for yourself. Did we actually live these things out? Like know that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Or did we go to other things for truth, other things for life, and really find failure there? And I know I did. Like the unfortunate thing is we we don't live these things out. Right? Can we all be honest in this? Like, we failed this week. We have sinned. We've fallen short of God's perfection. Every one of us. And it says this in Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23. It says it everywhere in Scripture that we are sinful. We are, we are actually wretched. And we fall short. And I was thinking more about this as I was preparing. And man, I get beat up every week preparing for this time. 
And I was thinking about like how, you know, even your heart's motivation is deceptive. And the very things that you know you ought not to go towards, you can feel the temptation and the draw of your heart to go towards it. Can you not? Like I know I felt this every day of the week. I know this is wrong, but yet, man, everything in my flesh wants to go there. See, we are wretched people. We are the church. And we more often than not go after the very things we know we should run from, while all along knowing the Father. But we would have to ask the question in this, do we? Do we truly know the Heavenly Father? See, as a father, my job is to provide for my kids and many other things. I wrote some down. Give an example for them, like how I work, how I play, how I have fun, how I interact with others, how I interact with them, how I treat my wife, how I help around the house, how I live my life to honor Jesus, and how I make the word of God the ultimate authority in our home and in my life. This is my job as a father. This is my responsibility. I can't pass it on to anybody else. And my kids, and they're here. Like, I've got four kids. Two of them are here. My kids can never say, and you can ask them afterwards, Dad, you never help around the house. They can never say he doesn't vacuum. He doesn't do the dishes. He doesn't make dinner when needed. He doesn't do laundry. He doesn't uh, uh, go to my sports games or my performances. He doesn't support me. He doesn't have fun with me. He doesn't buy groceries or, or clothes for me. He doesn't, he doesn't buy me treats when I ask him. He doesn't drive me to school, pick me up, teach me about Jesus, teach me about marriage, relationships, what I should stay away from, what I should run towards. He doesn't hug me or kiss me or love me. They can't say one thing negative about those things. You know why? And I was reflecting on this. I've been given a perfect example of how to be a father. Right here. The perfect example has been given to me, has been given to us on how we ought to live. Like, look at, look at God the Father. I think I have it on the screen. He creates, he provides for, he gives purpose, he gives you identity, he gives instruction, he leads by example, is intimately involved in relationship, he cares for, he brings loving discipline. And friends, this is the first two pages of your Bible. First two pages. Genesis 1 and 2. This is this list. list. It is everywhere. God the Father has given us all kinds of example that we are to follow. See, church, the first point for this morning that gives all the foundation you will ever need to look towards is to look towards God. Look towards God. This is true community. If you want to find true community, here's your resource. Like, just imagine for a moment if we actually lived out throughout our days what the scriptures call us to. Just like imagine for a moment. Like, if we actually live this out, like, like, have you ever thought about that? Like, if I actually did what is 
told to me here in the scripture through the narrative stories, through the, through the Psalms and the songs and the, and the, and the, and the Proverbs and the, and the prophecies, if I actually live this stuff out, like what my, what, what my life would look like? Like we would run away from sin because we would have a deep fear of the Lord. We would urgently live the good news of Jesus, live with joy and a hope that we actually have, like we believe that we actually had it, joy and hope and peace represented by these candles. And we would believe it. Imagine if we love God by abiding in him rather than solely relying on his grace, abusing his grace, but actually wanting to live for him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength as this called us to. Imagine looking toward God in all we do at all times. Like, think about this week. Did we, and this is, I did this for myself. That's why I'm just challenging you. Did you look towards God in all things this week? Like, to comfort yourself, to abide in, to rest in. See, not out of duty, but out of a delight that this is your Father, your Heavenly Father that loves you, that entered into our timeline, entered into our story a few thousand years ago to live a perfect life that we could not live to die for the very sin of our hearts and our motivations and our thoughts and our words and our deeds so that we didn't have to pay for them. Just like a good father would pay for his daughter or son the penalty that they deserve. That would be a sweet life if we lived that way, like the things that we can imagine. And imagine looking toward God in all these See, God is here with us. God is here with us. It says in Hebrews that, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Like, think about that. Never leave you, never forsake you. See, God is here. What amazing father to look toward. That's point number one. We need to look towards God. Point number two. Look towards others. Look toward one another. In Psalm 133, verse 1, I read this as we prayed it, and you're all welcome to please come and join us at like 9.15 to pray, uh, drink some coffee, have some homemade treats, and just fellowship. Uh, but 9.15, we, we read through Psalm 133 together. It's only three verses, but just here's the first one on the screen. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's sweet. I have played on a lot of, a lot of teams in my life, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of brothers hanging around each other. Those are my fondest memories. Just sit in the locker room and, and have some good conversation. Like I remember with some, especially Christian brothers, that you know you're on the same mission. It, you know you want to live as the, the, the Bible is calling you to, to make disciples of all nations. And I remember like, to this day, it was about 35 years ago, sitting in the locker room crying with three other guys. Just with joy. Because we were all together on this mission. 
and we had such a fun. We were laughing, crying, laughing. We had so much fun. And we looked at each other and go, what are people missing? Like, this is sweet. This is the looking toward one another. In the book Life Together, I definitely recommend it. It's a small little book. You can find it on Amazon, but written by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Incomparable. Like this is coming from a man that stood up against the Nazi regime and was murdered for it. Like this, this man was a pastor, theologian, standing up for, for life, and then he was murdered for it. And this is what he says. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. That's a big amen to that. See, in the scripture, the isolated Christian is not a thing. You don't see the isolated Christian in this. See, we see over and over again the use of the body in scripture to describe the Christian life. Over and over again. We also see the marriage union as an example of what the church ought to be. The marriage union. Like over and over, we see it in John chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, Ephesians 4 and 5, Colossians 1, 2, and 3. Like it's everywhere. It's from the start all the way to the back. We have a marriage in chapter 2, and we have a marriage celebration in Revelation. It's all the way through. See, the reason marriage is used to explain the relationship between us and Jesus is because it's an unbreakable union. I've done over 50 weddings in my short career of being a pastor. 50. I did two on one weekend, I think it was. was, That was a little crazy. I almost messed up the names. That would have been funny. But I, I read this verse, these two verses, every single wedding. It's on the screen, Matthew 19, 5 and 6. It says, therefore, this is Jesus talking. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Like, think about that. And he's quoting Genesis chapter 2. I think it's verse 22 or 23. He's quoting this all the way back before sin entered into the world. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You cannot break one flesh. And then it goes on, it says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. We can't get in the way of this. We are to be unified. See, it is is described, marriage is described, there's a covenant between one man and one woman, and when that covenant is made, there is no more looking toward another. There's no more. Like this is likened to the Israelites being married to God and then whoring themselves by making the golden calf. In the story of of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, it is likened to us now, here in our day. Every time we turn to TV, movies, video games, a drink, social media, over finding our true joy in the Lord, it's every time we turn towards something else to find comfort in something else, we are whoring ourselves instead of looking towards Christ as our true comfort. See, we're to look toward the Lord, but we are also to look toward one another for that comfort. See, think think of a war for a moment. Many of us, I'm sure not, maybe not all, any of us, 
have, have engaged in a war before. Maybe warring with your friend in school or, or a teacher or, or maybe a roommate or your wife. Maybe you can understand, maybe you've called that a war. But it takes a community of people on the same mission and purpose to win the war, right? We understand this, right? We are in a war against the enemy of God. We are, the church. And the enemy of God is our enemy as well. And like the scripture said in our last discipleship series, I know I've mentioned this, but when we exit out that door, if we don't put the armor of God on, we have the enemy is roaring like a lion ready to devour and kill us. And if we don't guard ourselves, the enemy is going to pick us out. We have an enemy. And he is also uh, going after us and wants to kill and destroy And when we go out that door, our enemy is waiting. And he has also been invited in by our dysfunction. So when we have a broken relationship before one another, it shows actual dysfunction between you and God as well. So you have dysfunction here and horizontally, vertically and horizontally. I've said this before, and if you're new here, this might be the first time you've heard that. But when you have a broken relationship with one another, it actually resembles your relationship with God. So this is actually a picture of this relationship with Jesus. And that's why he constantly calls us, as we look toward one another, to deal with it quickly. Deal with it quickly. See, fighting together is in the mission of looking for resolve and reconciliation is summed up best in community. We are called to be in community with one another in this, and the best way to sum this up is through one word, accountability. Accountability. So I want to give you, I want to give you th- some things to take home uh, today and really begin to maybe practice. So what does accountability look like? So five things that, that account- accountability provides, and you see them on the screen. I want to explain each one. So accountability can provide structure can provide structure. So when life is messy and chaotic, this is where we need to start. Like a gathering together of like-minded individuals that seek to point one another to Jesus. I also say something in marriage that the husband, you are to love your wife as if you're loving Jesus, that she would love not you more, but that she would love Jesus more. And then I would look at the wife and I go, you are to love your husband as if you're loving Jesus, that your husband might actually love Jesus more, not you more. This is how we are to live with one another. We are to love one another in such a way that you love Jesus more, not me. This is how we are to live. And so it provides structure. And this is the gathering of the church. We are to to love one another as we see them and enter into the the building. And this will take dedication, but this could also bring a new self-control to areas you battle with on your own. See, it's not self-help that we need, but we actually need Jesus. And Jesus has orchestrated this by way of community, by being examples to one another, as we've learned from the example of God the Father. So it provides structure. It also provides guidance. Like many people want change but have no idea where to start. And you can come alongside and, ha- and give this guidance to another. But also another can come alongside. You put your, his arm around you or her arm around you and walk you through 
a guiding, maybe a spot where you've been blinded. And so we need one another in this because we all have these different blind spots. And so it provides guidance. Like I remember walking with with an individual for years and it started with like almost like elementary things. Like we calendared kind of a day and then it moved after the, the, the individual walked through the day and got really familiar with the, the kind of building ha- like right habits rather than wrong habits. And then it moved to a week. And then it was like months. And then it was started like we started walking through the year. Like how are we to be living as followers of Jesus Christ? But it started like when you wake up, do this. And then text me. And then after lunch, do this. And then text me. And then after you get home from work, do this, and then text me. And then we're going to have a phone call. And so it was like walking step by step with this individual for days. It takes time to provide guidance. It also can provide assistance, like family counseling. I've walked with husbands and wives and their kids, like grown kids, and because of dysfunction within their family. And they just couldn't do it on their own. They needed a community of, pe- of like-minded people on the same mission. They just couldn't see eye to eye on certain things, and so they needed an outward person that would have the same mission to seek out reconciliation and restoration and begin to move in that direction. And then you may need that time. And someone in the church community might be the best person for that. Because God has orchestrated the church to work this stuff out with one another. And it's beautiful. Like mediation between others, this is the church body in motion. In church, we have been given all the tools to do this. Like every one of us. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter. It's close to the back. 2 Peter, or if uh, you're scrolling, it'll be right at the bottom of the New Testament. But 2 Peter chapter 1 and man, it is dark up here. I gotta, I gotta read like this. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. His divine power, hear this, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Did you hear it? Let me read it again. Slow down when you read the scripture. His divine power, the power of the Father, has granted to us, the church, all things that pertain to life. So when we exit out that door, God's power has given us all things to pertain to life. And godliness. So how do we live? In life and godliness by his power that he's given to us. We have the abilities, church. We have all the tools. We just don't go to them. Accountability can provide assistance. It also can provide encouragement. Like change can be discouraging, right? Change can be discouraging. I'm sure many, many of us, we've all had those senses of discouragement because change just wasn't happening. Or change did happen, but no one else around you changed. 
So it's frustrating, and you constantly are going, oh my goodness, why did I even change? I want to go back to that. And that's what we see in the book of Exodus, right? The Israelites changed. They changed who was ruling over them. They took the, the Israelite or the, the Egyptians away from their rule, and they started to go under the, the, the authority of God, and it felt confusing because they didn't have that before, and so they're, let's go back to Egypt. It's more comfortable there. See, change can be discouraging. At times, it might actually feel easier to run back, like I said, to what is most comfortable. And, but a person needs encouragement, and that's what we are for. As we look to one another, how can we encourage one another? How, and, and by way of knowing your story, by knowing one another's story, this, this is why we do this in our community groups, to share one another's stories regularly to know what's going on in the here and the now of your life so that we might be able to pray for and encourage and lift up and undergird one another. This is why we do these things here at the shore, to provide encouragement, to, to build a foundation that is, brings accountability. The last one there provides warning. See, people at times will want to cut away from community and isolate. And at that time, people will need to be warned of the consequences. See, warned that their actions are not being guided by biblical wisdom any longer, but, but might actually be guided by their feelings or their darkened heart. And as a loving community, wouldn't it be most loving to warn someone when they start going down that trail? And the answer is yes. It's most loving to draw near to someone when you see them go opposite of what the Scriptures say. So how then... How important is it to know what the scriptures say? So you can see when people are going awry. Accountability, this is exactly what we all need. So let me say this, in regards to the last one, the providing warning, let me say this, be warned to be quick to warn another though. Because we are commanded in the book of James to be slow to speak, slow to speak and quick to listen. So we also have wrong heart motivations that need to be helped and brought before a community of believers so that God gets the glory, not us. So accountability, like I said, this is exactly what we all need. We need one another reminding each other to live towards Christ. And the central point of this is on the screen. The central point of looking toward one another is that personal ministry, the one-on-one ministry, the, the horizontal ministry that we have with one another, personal ministry doesn't end at the point of your insight when you finally get where this individual maybe needs to be walked or encouraged or, or provide accountability, it, that's not when it stops or starts or stops, but it begins there. So personal ministry doesn't end at the point of your insight. Personal ministry doesn't end at the point of commitment. So sometimes we have, like that, I talked about that one individual, he was, he was committed to do these things that I was encouraging him in and, and keeping him accountable to. He was actually very committed to do these things. But change hasn't happened yet. Commitment was there. But change hasn't happened. And so when change happens, then we know things are moving forward. Thirdly, personal ministry needs a clear direction. Personal ministry needs to declare responsibility. And personal ministry needs to instill identity on and in Jesus. Like I talked about the marriage, we need to put our identity and our foundation in Christ. That's why I'm loving you. That you love Jesus more. And that's what we have to do, church. 
love one another so that they love Jesus more. That's it. It's that simple, but yet incredibly hard. See, going to church and listening to sermons is not community. It's a big start to it. It's a big start to it, but it's not entire, the entirety of community. See, as we are enthusiastic about the Lord and His mission, we also need to be enthusiastic about relationships. Like, enthusiastic about them. I want to give you three quotes from three different men, three different generations, all saying the same thing. Different words. All right, they're on the screen. Tim Chester, pastor and author, wrote this. He wrote a great book called Total Church. You can pick it up. Maybe some of you have probably read it. But it says this, the theology that matters is not the theology we profess, but the theology we practice. It's a great quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the same thing, just different words. Christianity could never be merely intellectual theory, doctrine, divorce from life, or mystical emotion. But always it must be responsible, obedient action. The discipleship of Christ in every situation of concrete, everyday life, personal and public. John Stott, pastor, author, theologian, also wrote, our static, inflexible, self-centered structures, so when we look towards our self-kingdoms, heretical. You don't see it anywhere in Scripture. It's heretical structures because they embody a, a heretical doctrine of the church. If our structure has become an end in itself, which means it's just about my self-kingdom, it's not a means of saving the world. It is a, it is a heretical structure that you're bringing to the world. See, knowing and being known is community. It involves risk. It involves time. It involves trust. It involves grace. It involves loving one another. I challenged our, uh, our member class a few months back now, back in the summer, we had our members class. We'll probably have another one in the new year. But I challenged everyone, we have a small community here, but wouldn't it be cool if every one of us invited each other over for dinner or a coffee or a lunch, just like back in the olden days? Like when I grew up, it was, someone was always coming over on a Sunday afternoon. Maybe we need to start that tradition again so that we can love each other the way Christ has loved us. See, like in Paul's instruction for us, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I'm using him a lot. That book is really great. It challenges, challenges us as a man not, that lived in a solitude and imprisonment. And it, again, his words were this, the Christian needs other Christians in his life to speak the words of God to him. This is accountability. This is encouragement. This is what we need. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather reality created by God in Christ in which we must participate. I'll say that again. Christian brotherhood or sisterhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather reality created by God in Christ in which we must participate. We must get together with one another. So looking toward God and looking toward one another are not options, they are commands. And we see this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as you have been loved. The first two commands that Jesus left us. And they're commands that are exactly what we need. Let's look at the third one and I'll close with this. 
looking toward God's mission. Looking towards God's mission. What type of me, what type of us, right, does God want for his mission? And this is what I was thinking. Like, what, what, what does he want for me? What does he want for us as the church? Well, he doesn't want complacent individuals. He doesn't want foolish individuals looking towards our own self-kingdom rather than towards God's kingdom. But he wants ones with urgency to tell of his glory. Urgency. And when we truly, in that imaginative state, when we truly go, man, if I just live this, this is how it would look, that's how he wants us to live. A little bit crazy. A little bit crazy in love with him. Tim Chester, the last quote from him, it says, church is not a meeting you attend or a place you enter. It is an identity that is ours in Christ. We are the bride of Christ. That's what the church is refer, uh, rep- represents. You see this in Ephesians 4 and 5. We are the bride of Christ. We are, we are the church. We get to go into the community and be the church as well. We don't only get to be the church here, the gathered community of sinners, but we also get to go out into the world as a gathered community. And when we invite others here, Oh, let me give you one more the quote there on the last there. Marshall Siegel, author, writes, if our Christian community is committed but not compelling to anyone, we should be asking serious questions about what we're committed to. Right? We need to be asking those hard questions. And that's where we discuss in our community groups when we meet and gather. We want to discuss these and how we can be better of a community. So when we, when we invite others here or to a community event like sky, skating at 3.30, and we see each other. Do we show love towards one another? Like in, in the church, I, I, I really believe we're called to like really love one another. And so that's why I do my best to stand back there and give you a hug as you walk in. And, and I've been doing that ever since like I was youth ministry at, at Willingham Church. I would, I would walk people would walk in, kids, I would just give them a big hug because, man, I, I, I know some of their stories and they weren't getting hugs from their mom or dad. And so I just wanted to love on these kids, give them an idea of what the father is. And I want to give you the same thing when you walk in. What does the father think of you? He loves you. Uh, it's funny, I... <coughs> I was at I was at like a a volley like we were, I just finished volleyball season now we're into basketball full bore, and so we, all the coaches got together for a little bit of a social at a restaurant. And someone from this community entered in with their family and they're at the restaurant and they came over. And man, I, I was so excited to see them. And I gave them a big hug. That's what we need to be with one another. So when we see each other in the mall or, or at a restaurant or at a coffee shop or down the street, and it's like, oh my goodness, you are part of me. We're on the same mission. We're, like we, we love each other. And this is what we're called to. Look at each other the way God looks at us. See, going back to my first point, look towards God. Let me humbly wrap this up with God's mission with three points. First one is glorify God with all you have. Glorify God with all you have. This is his mission for you. 
and it's all throughout the scripture. Live out of your identity as sinner, and you've heard me say this, sinner saved by grace with a thankful heart. Sufferer for his glory, not ours, with a thankful heart, and saint to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ with a thankful heart. So live out of your identity as a sinner, sufferer, and a saint. And thirdly, live out, your pur- live out our purpose to make disciples of Jesus. So glorify God with all you have. Live out of your identity and give glory to Jesus. Live out of your purpose. So family, I will say this over and over again. We must be on a journey of change and have a desire to change daily towards Christ-likeness to fulfill his mission for us. And like the aspen tree, one big root system, many individuals coming out of the ground. The best way to do this in the community of the church is by way of accountability. That we would call it one another and encourage one another and care for one another. This is what God has called us to. More on this in the new year and the years to come as God allows. Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for your amazing grace. I thank you that you've given us a perfect, perfect example. As you, Father, have sent the Son and Jesus, leaving your Spirit to empower us, to, to live out the way you've called us to, that it's not on our power, it's on yours. And so help us, Jesus, this week, rely heavily on you. Help us lean heavily on the throne that is there for us to lean on. Help us remember that you have saved us, that you've forgiven us of our sin and paid the penalty of death, that we might live out our new identity as as freed, freed followers of you. And as freed followers of you, that we might not turn back towards those, that old nature, but that we will live actually out our new nature in you. So help us, Lord, this week. Live truly as a community, a community on one purpose and one mission to bring you glory and honor and that others would see this and be encouraged to do the same. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.